Jesus, uh, I, my words are, are foolish at best, but your, uh, your word never fails. And you have um, a heart to reveal things to us today. Every, everyone who comes to truly seek you, God, you, you will reveal yourself to them. And you will show you who you are. And Father, I pray that you would do that. I pray for each heart in here, Lord, that you would be doing a process of softening and uh, preparing the ground with water uh, for the seed that's going to be planted of your, your word. And I pray that it would grow up to new life and, and uh, encouragement to each and every one of us today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Exodus, verse by verse, uh, on Sundays. And so we've gotten all the way up through to chapter 3, and it just so happens that the part in Exodus chapter 3 that we're in is when Moses is walking around in the desert, and he sees a bush that's burning on fire but not being burnt up, and he hears a voice coming out of it, and, and he says, Moses, and take off your sandals. And then he, Mo, he says, I want you to go, and I've, I've heard that the people are hurting down in their slaves, and, and I've had, I have a heart for them, and I want to rescue them, and I want to use you. And Moses is like, great, but who are you? Good question. And God says, I am, my name is, I am who I am, or I am that I am. And that's kind of our base. We're going to go back and read that a little bit later, but I wanted to just refresh you that that's where we're at. And so we're going to kind of use that as our, as our Easter um, sermon today. We're, we're just kind of fit nicely. So I thought we'd just kind of go there. But as you guys know, Jesus was nailed on a cross 2,000 years ago, right? He, he was nailed on the cross after being tortured and condemned by the Jews and the Romans. But that wasn't the worst thing that Jesus endured. I mean, he was blindfolded and beat, and they ripped out his beard, and, and he went through a lot of physical suffering, being nailed to the cross, being slowly suffocated on the cross. But after he was nailed on the cross for three hours as he was just suffocating, it got dark right at noon. And from noon to three, it was dark. And during that time of darkness, God the Father was pouring out on Jesus all of his wrath. All of his wrath. And, and what wrath? Well, it was the righteous anger of God against every sin that man has ever committed. And he, he gathered it all up in Christ and he poured out his anger and wrath at every man's sin. And so as Jesus died, all that sin was done away with also. Every sin. And now every man can be forgiven of any sin because Jesus paid for them. And that is the glorious thing that happened on Good Friday. Okay. Well, three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. That's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter, what we're doing today. And why does that matter? Why was it so important? Well, it showed, number one, that Jesus was God and his life could not be extinguished, that he could pay this price and still be alive. And secondly, it proved that that sacrifice that Jesus offered to the Father was accepted by the Father, and now all men can come to him and say, Jesus, I believe in what you did. I believe, and I'm going to put my hope and my trust in what you did. Jesus paid for it all. 
He redeemed men. He brought back men who had gone astray. And it's the only way. This is what I've just explained in just a couple minutes is called the gospel, the good news, the, the, the substitution that God offers us. It's good news that you and I can be saved because of what Jesus has done. Do you guys believe that? All right, we're done. That's all we need. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're like, that was the easiest Easter ever. I'm coming back to this church. <clears throat> all that's required of you and of me is that we believe, right? Believe. That's what the Bible says. You got to believe. What's required is faith that you believe. And those kind of are synonymous, synonymous terms, faith and believing. It's, you, but you've got to believe in a way where you put your whole, your whole heart into it. You, 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 you. Now, do you believe the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl this year? Wow, that was... You guys have some... What if Peyton Manning was here? Well, okay, we'd probably... <laughs> that's how the people feel. All right. Well, maybe you said, yeah, I still believe they're going to, I'm a big fan and I really believe they're going to win. Well, do you believe enough to get a tattoo right now today that Super Bowl 52 champions right on your neck or something? You don't believe that much? All right, then you don't, you don't really believe then. You know, you don't really believe. Well, do you believe your car's brakes are going to work this afternoon? <laughs> Not for Ashley. Let's, let's call you an Uber after, all right? Let's make sure that that... Yeah, you, you guys believe enough to put your life on the line, except for Ashley. You guys believe enough to put your life on the line that your brakes are going to work. Even though I have a mechanic out there right now disconnecting all of them, you guys believe. You believe. Maybe that's... I mean, it could be. If I was really evil, I could be doing that. I'm not, don't worry. I know I even remind you, oh man, is he doing it? Well, that's. <laughs> so there's a way to believe that, that you really believe, and then there's a way to believe where you're just, yeah, you're not. I just like to say that I believe, okay? Well, it's Resurrection Sunday, so we're going to read the accounts from the book of Luke real quick about Jesus and, and what happened. And we're going to draw a couple things from this account. So in Luke chapter 24, verses uh, 13 through 53, then we'll go to John, then we'll be in Exodus. So get your, your Bible turning fingers ready. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 13, you got two disciples are walking down the road. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. Now this is the this is Sunday. This is the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the dead. And two of his disciples are just walking down a road towards the village of Emmaus, and, which is seven miles from Jerusalem. And they, talked, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you're having with one another as you walk and you're sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that you have not known the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, huh, What things? 
So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying they'd also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, now I want you to listen very carefully to what he says to them. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. In all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Read that important part again. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter his glory? And beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures and all the things concerning himself. And they knew, as they drew near to the village where they were going, he indicated that he would go further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is towards evening and the day is far spent. And he went to stay with them. And it came to pass as they sat at the table with them that he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. So cool. And then he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and he appeared to Simon. And they told them all these things that happened to them on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. He was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Now we'll just finish it up here. And as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace be to you. And they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold, my hands and my feet. This is I myself. Handle me. And see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, fish and some honeycomb. And he took, so that should be what we eat on Easter. None of this pork and whatever meals. We should have fish and honeycomb. Just kidding. I don't Do whatever you want. And he took it and ate in their presence. So they said to him, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, saying it was all foretold. 
and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witness of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. And now it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. That's how the book of Luke describes what we're celebrating today. I love it. But I want to focus on that one little phrase that we saw in there. Oh, when Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now, if I were to ask you each to fill out a piece of paper that says, I believe Jesus, and then you have a blank, how would you fill in that blank? I believe Jesus. Yeah, you could say he's alive, he's kind, he's powerful, he's patient. You might come up with all kinds of better adjectives than, than I can even. He's wonderful, he's scary, he's coming back, he's God. You, you could come up with all kinds of descriptions for Jesus. And Jesus is all of that, sure. That's, that's, that's a good thing to do. But what all do I need to believe about Jesus? What? I don't want to be foolish and slow of heart. So what all do I need to believe about Jesus in order to, to know him and, and to, to be saved and to have my sins washed away? Teach me, tell me, and I'll believe. What is it that I need to believe? Well, we're going to focus on two things today, the mind and the heart. When we believe, we need to think about both the mind and the heart. Believing is linked to the heart and the mind. It's it's something that you can't separate those two. It starts with the mind, but then it slowly moves to the heart if things are going well, if things are doing what they're supposed to do. If I say God loves you, you can mentally understand that. Santa Claus loves me too. My brain understands that some big guy upstairs that I don't know loves me. But to have it take root in your heart that God truly loves you sometimes takes time and suffering. Hard times for us to have it make this journey of 18 inches from our brain all the way down to our heart. It seems like there's a big brick wall right here that blocks it, that keeps it from getting there sometimes. If I were to say to you, Jesus rose from the dead, you could maybe mentally understand that. I mean, we could sit here today and I could go through the the proofs and I could say, look at the witness proofs and look at the logic proofs and look at all these different scientific, it's the most historically verified event in all of history. We have more proof that Jesus rose from the dead than that Rome ever existed. We have more proof of, of that one event than anything else that we're told about in history. More proof. But that would only affect our brain, our mind. And it's good to have that. But a lot of times it, it just doesn't get down because there seems to be this wall. 
And the Lord, he's willing to allow his truth to bang against that wall over and over and over again until it breaks that wall and it trickles down into our hearts and we start, it penetrates our hearts so that we start to soften in our heart. And the belief isn't just in the brain, but it's in the heart. In our story, these disciples have their heart and their mind linked together when Jesus made himself known. That's when they linked together. You see, while they were walking on the road, he was explaining things to their brain and their hearts were burning. And so there's all these different things going on, but they're disconnected. And God, it was okay. That's how he had it. But Jesus knocked down that wall when Jesus was made known to them, when they learned who Jesus was, when it was revealed to them who Jesus was. It changed who they were. When they learned who Jesus was, it changed who they were. It knocked down the wall and it united their heart and their mind. And I hope that God is going to do a little bit of that today for us. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to have Jesus revealed to us. And we're going to start by studying what we've been studying the last few weeks, which is in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 13. When Moses, going through the desert, God is going to reveal himself to Moses. And Moses said, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. And this shall be a memorial to all generations. Are you guys one of the all generations? Yes. Then we need to know what this means. I am that I am. Sounds like you're stuttering, God. It sounds like uh, that just doesn't make sense. Well, in our studies that we've been going through the book of Exodus, we've seen, we've already proved that Jesus is the one speaking to Moses. Jesus is God, and whenever you hear God's voice, even in the Old Testament, or God makes an appearance in the Old Testament that someone can actually see, it's Jesus, because God is a spirit, and no one can see God the Father. No one has ever seen him, the Bible says. But the Son is how he's revealed to us. So in this fire is Jesus, and Jesus is talking to Moses. He's revealing himself to Moses, and he says the name of God, who Jesus is God, is I am who I am. This is how Jesus wants us to think about knowing who he is. He wants you to think, I am who I am. But what does that mean? Well, it's a verb in Hebrew. It's an action verb, meaning to be or to exist. It means that he always is existing. He's outside of time. It's a real big concept we need to understand. No matter where you think of in time or space, past, present, or future, he exists there right now. He's there. And I like to explain it with this illustration. When you're sitting there watching a parade, is there an Easter parade? No. Well, there should be. Today... There's an Easter parade in your brain. Okay, so 
at the Easter parade, if you sit there on the corner, you see things go by, one float at a time, the terrible band, the you know, horses, and they, <laughs> never mind. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, you just see one thing at a time, and that's how we see life. Right here, we're sitting here, and time is just passing us by, and here we go, it's just one day after another. This is what we can see, and to us, the Bible looks like it was a long time ago, but to God, he sees it all at the same time. It would be like if you got in a hot air balloon and you got way up high over the parade and you look down and what can you see? You can see the whole parade. You can see the beginning and the terrible band and the end and the whole thing all the way through. And you see it all at the same time and you can, there, there's no difference to you. And that's how God exists outside of time. He, he sees the whole thing as a whole and he exists there. So he is the I am. He's always in the present tense. There's no place where he doesn't exist or can't exist. But it means more than that too. It it sounds kind of strange to us because we're waiting for it to further define I am what? That's what we're waiting for, right? Someone just doesn't walk down the street saying, I am. You're like, what? You are what? Right, So that's why it's weird to us, but it's designed to be that way by God. God specifically doesn't design, he doesn't say what we uh, need to fill in that blank with because he's everything. He will fill your needs. If you need a savior, he says, I am your savior. Oh, I need a life. Well, I am your life. Well, I need hope. I am your hope. I need truth and guidance and healing. I am all that you need. I am your source of life. I am everything that you need. He lets you fill in the blank. He lets you fill in the blank. Now, let's bring back our subject of mind and heart. Okay? To, to mentally understand, we've kind of just briefly explained what I am means, and maybe we understand that in our brain or in our heart. Do we believe Jesus is the I am? That he is everything we need? Well, in my mind, I say yes. I'm, I'm a pastor. I better believe that Jesus is everything, right? Okay, but in my heart, I don't know all the time. I'm still growing. There's still places in my heart that I I don't know that he'll meet my need. I don't know. I don't always trust. I don't always believe like I should. And I have to be honest about that. I'm not perfect. My heart still thinks other things matter sometimes. I believe more than I used to, but I have to say I'm slow of heart and mind to believe, just like those disciples on the road, but God knows me. And he continues to reveal who he is to me through his word. So check it out. A couple thousand years later, after God spoke this to Moses, Jesus come to the earth again and gives us a more clear definition of what this I am means. So it was at the appointed time, at the right time, Jesus took on full flesh and blood, became a human, and he, in part of his job description, was to further reveal 
what I am means, who I am is. And he did this in a couple ways. Number one, he told us, I am, and then he gave us seven metaphorical statements, seven metaphorical I am statements. And we're going to look at those seven real quick. We're not going to spend forever studying them because you guys need to do that on your own. But we're going to look at them. They're all in the book of John. You can just go through the book of John. And as you're reading, just highlight when he says, I am, blah, 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 blah. And you'll see these for yourself. And then we're going to see four explicit I am statements. And these are not going to be metaphorical, but completely explicit. We'll get to those after we do the metaphorical ones. So we're going to take a look in the book of John. The metaphorical I am statements are number one. He said, I am the bread of life in chapter 6. He says it three times in chapter 6, but he says, I am the bread of life. Number two, he says, I am the light of the world. So he's kind of defining it for us. When he was at the, in the desert, in the bush, he just left it as I am whatever you need. But now he's going to help us understand all of God's character and all that God wants us to know about him. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Number seven, I am the true vine. I went fast, but we're going to slow down now. So, our mind and our heart. He, he just gave us seven things. We're going to look real quick. What do you think about those things in your mind? And then what do you believe about them in your heart? What, where is your belief level about these things? When he says, I am the bread of life, if you just believe with your mind, you'll say, mm, he will satisfy my needs. If you, okay, we'll just, that's where we're at. But if it's, it's made its way down. Maybe you've walked with him for some time and it's broken down this wall. Your heart would say something different. Your heart say, would say, he does satisfy my hunger. Do you see the subtle difference? He will satisfy my hunger is a mental ascent. He does satisfy my hunger is a heart thing. A heart thing. And that is something I can't do to you. I can't force it on you. I can't make you believe in your heart. That's something the Lord accomplishes. The Lord does. When we humbly call out and say, Lord, I want that. I believe it in my brain. But my heart is disconnected. I believe you will Beam the bread of my life. They will satisfy my hunger for all these things. I want to get to the point where I say, you do satisfy me. The second one, he says, I am the light of the world. Well, my mind will say, well, yeah, he, he will be the way that I see in this world. He will be what I use to, to make my decisions. But the heart would say, he has become the way in this world. I don't have to think about it anymore. It's just in my heart that I look at things the way that he looks at them. The third one, he says, I'm the door of the sheep. My mind would say, well, yes, he is the only way to have fellowship with God. I believe it. I believe Jesus was the Messiah. I believe 
okay, my brain, but my heart says, I only have fellowship with God through Jesus. It's another level. It's a, it's a deeper heart level. He says, I'm the good shepherd. My mind says, oh, he will provide for me. He'll protect me. But my heart says, I don't fear because I know he provides for me and protects me even when it doesn't seem like it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's another I am statement. In our mind, we can say, yeah, he rose from the dead and he has the power to give life. But when it gets down into our heart, it sounds more like this. I'm alive from my old dead desires and now I live for his kingdom only. It's all I care about. I receive my life and the things I'm passionate from him daily. That's how different that is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, Jesus is the only way to live in truth. But when it gets down to my heart, it sounds like Jesus is the only way that I experience life and truth. He, what he says becomes my truth. He says I'm loved and clean, and now I believe it, and so it's real. I feel the love. I, I know I'm confident of the truth in my heart. So these are the, the seven. Well, there's one more. He says, I am the true vine. In my mind, I would say, I, I know that I should always spend time with Jesus. Right? We would agree with that. It's good to wake up and do your devotions, spend time with Jesus. But in my heart, I would say, I abide in Jesus without any desire to leave him. He's my whole life. My life, his life flows through me like a vine flows through the branches. The life of the vine, the sap goes through the branches and gives the branches life. That's how it, that's how it is for me too, in my heart. So we kind of come to a self-assessment where you, you kind of look in your heart and you ask yourself, do you believe these I am statements about what Jesus says? And maybe you do say, yeah, I believe them in my mind, but are they all the way down into the heart? There's another way that Jesus shows us who he is, and these are the absolute I am statements. We're going to look at these four, and then we'll be done. We'll see in the book of John how Jesus reveals himself to be the I am. So these four absolute I am statements. John chapter 8, you've got to see this one. John chapter 8, verse 24. Read it for yourself, because it'll blow your mind. And hopefully, blow your heart, too. Blow away your mind, blow away your heart. We don't want it to just be one or the other. We need them connected, our whole person, to believe. He says, therefore, I said to you, John 8, 24, that you will die in your sins For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And the reason I want to make sure you're reading that in your Bible is because do you see the word he either has little brackets around it or it's italicized? Do you see that in your word? 
That means it was a word that was added by the translators to hopefully help uh, with understanding the meaning. But it actually does the opposite in this sense. It shouldn't be there. His words are ego and mini, which means I am. That's what he said. If you, now read it without the word he in there like it's written. And it says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That is a pretty clear statement by Jesus, isn't it? He says, unless you believe, believe, like we've said, with the heart and the mind, mind and heart. Mind is up here, not down here. Unless we believe it, we will die in our sins, that he was God. Yesterday, two Mormon missionaries showed up at my doorstep. They, they didn't know where they were at. And it was fun. I had a good time. They were still there when BK and Emma came over. But they, this was the only thing I talked about with them. Because they said, hi, we're Mormon would you like to talk about Jesus? I said, yes, I would love to talk about Jesus. And you guys are Mormons, and I'd love to talk to you about Jesus because you're a cult and you don't believe in the right Jesus. You believe he was the brother of Satan, don't you? I said, who's the brother of Jesus? And they said, well, you know who the brother of Jesus is. And I said, I know who you say the brother of Jesus is, and it's not right. Because the word of God says he is the I am. He is God. He is God who created the heavens and the earth, God. Nothing else, nothing short of it. He was completely God. That is so important for us to understand. Not only I am and all the seven metaphorical things and, and, and deeper understandings and descriptions of what that means. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection, all these things. But just that he is God. He's explaining his character through the metaphorical ones. But Jesus says, unless you believe that I am God, you're going to die in your sins. Why? Why? Because if he's not the I am, then he's just a man. And just a man dying on a cross doesn't provide anything for you. No matter how good that man's life was, it's not good enough to wash away my filthy sin. The price my sin needs to be washed away is so much higher and greater than what any man could pay. So it's either going to be extracted from me in an eternity of hell, or Jesus can pay for it. And in his love, he decided, I would offer that to you. I will be a substitute for you, and you can be made alive because I can offer a price. The life of Jesus is worth how much? Well, that's an infinite number. It's a number that has no bounds. That's how much his life was worth. How much anger and wrath did God pour out on Christ for our sins? Well, to answer that question, you have to ask, how offended was God by your sins? And that is an infinite number as well. And so we can't just think that Jesus was just a guy. He wasn't. This event of him dying on the cross is the only thing that matters in all of human history. Nothing else matters. Because it is the event that price for sin. An amazing thing. Jesus says, unless you believe, if you don't believe that I am, you're going to die in your sins. How could he be any more clear? You can't, you can't, he didn't say, unless you're just a good person. He didn't say that. He said, unless you're really sincere about your belief in Buddha. 
He doesn't say that. I'm not trying to be insincere. I'm just honestly telling you what Jesus said. He said, I'm God, and you have to listen to me because I'm going to break the one rule that no one but God can break. You can kill me, and I'll come back to life. No one else does that. No one else can do that. So you have to listen to what I say. And I said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to Father except through me. And if you don't believe I'm that, you're going to die in your sins. Because there's no other sacrifice. There's nothing else that works. Well, our next one, if we go just down to the next verse, verse 25. Chapter 8 of John, verse 25. They turned to him and said, who are you? (laughs) And Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am. And you see the word he there? Remember, it's got the little things, it's italicized, not there. He says again, you'll know that I am right there. And that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak those things, these things. How do I know that Jesus is the I am? Jesus says, real simple, just look at the cross. If you look at the cross, you will observe, you will see his perfect submission, his perfect love, his perfect power and character all displayed for all to see, and your heart will bear witness, yes, he's God. Even the the centurion, the Roman guy who was not religious in any way, when he saw Jesus and he saw how Jesus died, he was the first one to say, dude, that was God. That surely was God. When he saw everything, he saw the Son of Man lifted up, and Jesus said, it works. Think about me on the cross. Observe me. Read it. Let it be in your mind, and it will convince you of who he is. Now we go to chapter 8, verse 56. Just a little ways down. This chapter, Jesus is just killing it with these explicit I am statements. He says, your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Just right there, just in your face. And then they took up stones to throw at him. Why would they do that? Because he's clearly calling himself God. And they, but he went out and hit through the temple and he went through the midst of them and so passed by. So knowing Jesus might be hard to accept, knowing who Jesus is, or because if he's God and, and, and you see him on the cross and your heart gets convinced he's God, there's something that happens. You have to surrender to him. You have to submit to him. You have to... Here, you have to go back and look at everything he said and believe it. <coughs> if he's God, you can't just be like, eh, go about my day. It, it doesn't work that way. The, you will have to surrender to him. You will have to worship him because he is God. Or you will be in rebellion. 
Now, a lot of people choose rebellion, don't they? A lot of people choose rebellion. Oh, I'm going to live my life, and I only need Jesus for this small portion, or I'm going to live my life, and I don't need Jesus at all. See, their mind may be submitted to the truth. Yeah, I believe Jesus is God. Oh, easy. But their heart is in full-on rebellion. I will not have you rule over me, they say. I will love whatever I want to love. I will trust in whatever I want to trust in. And that's a sad place to be because you can't be saved if you're in rebellion. God is saying, I want to save you. Like in a battle, he's got a great army coming in and he's like, I'm, we're at war here. Don't you want my, me to save you instead of be your enemy? And he says, just throw up that white flag and surrender to me, surrender to who I am and what I want to do and you'll be saved. I will have mercy on you. But if you rebel and you want to shoot me with guns, you're going to lose. I like that battlefield analogy. See, it's not comfortable to know who Jesus is. When he says, I am. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I've always been, I am. They're like, I hate you and I want to kill you. And that's exactly what our heart does too. Our heart says that. You know, but, or you can choose to submit to it and and worship him and surrender to him, but you have to say no to your flesh. And no to the way that you want to live your life and instead surrender to him alone. He has to be the Lord. And it's going to aggravate your flesh to the deepest core level. It will bother you. What do you mean I can't do everything I want to do? Man, I feel like I just have this in my DNA from like my great-grandfather Adam or something that I should rebel against you. And that's the truth. We do. That's how we feel. And many people reject Jesus because they want to live their own life and they want to make their own decisions, yet his promise remains. If you believe that he is the I am, that he is God, believe it with the mind and the heart, then he will replace your life with his own life. He'll take your sin, he'll wash it away forever, and he will replace your life with his own life. And that's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes, makes his home with you, gives you a new heart, new attitude, new everything. New life, that's his promise. All right, well, we skip now forward 10 chapters to John chapter 18. You got to see this. This one's crazy. I love this one. I'm so excited about this one. This is our last one. We're going to look. No, it's not. I lied. (laughs) But Jesus, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just about to get arrested. They're coming to betray him. And Judas, having received a detachment of troops, and the officers and the chief priests and the Pharisees came with lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, therefore, knowing what would come upon him, uh, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am. The word he is in the little blink, just cross it out. I am. And Jesus and Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said, I am, they drew back and fell on the ground. <laughs> I love that. This is so cool. He says, I am, and they all just like, and they still get up. <laughs> and he asked them again, uh, who are you seeking? And they said, uh, Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I told you that I am. I am. 
That's who you should really call me. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. I love this because every knee will bow to Jesus. He is the great I am. No one took his life from him. He gave it freely for the sacrifice demanded by our sins. Out of his love, he gave his life freely. That's what the I am does. He becomes all that we need. The Jews rejected him because the Jews wanted Jesus to kick out Rome and to just be the king of Israel and let Israel be a nation and live with their religiosity, just like church stuff. And, and they wanted that from Jesus, and Jesus says, that's not what you need. What you need is someone to die for your sins so that you don't have to die and go to hell. And I know you don't understand that. No one understands it, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm the great I am. And I will be what you need even when you don't know that I'm being what you need. That's what the I am does. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I think I believe. But maybe I need to believe more in my heart. Maybe that wall between my heart and my brain is still standing in some places. How can I fully believe? That's what I want today. I'm sometimes I just feel done with halfway believing. And I want to have stronger faith. And I want to believe more that Jesus is sufficient and he will be everything. I want that more. What do I do? Well, if you would just back up to Mark, the book of Mark, a couple of books before, in chapter 9, we see a guy in a similar situation. Mark chapter 9, and we are almost done. You guys are hanging strong on Easter. <laughs> Mark chapter 9, verse 20. Then they brought, to him, uh, brought him to him, this, this sick kid. And, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. He's got an evil demonic spirit inside him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So we asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often has thrown him into the, uh, both the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, well, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Such a great thing. But immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. And then I'm sure his conscience said, ah, no, you don't. I mean, maybe in your brain you believe. But his heart is full of rebellion. So he said, Lord, I believe, but I need you to help me with my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help me with your unbelief, my unbelief. You see, a humble heart can be helped. God understands that your heart is desperately wicked 
and full of rebellion. And he is so willing to help you with that. But you have to come to him and say, I believe, but I need you to help me with my unbelief. I need your spirit to come to my heart and fix it and change it. Because there's a wall there and I don't know how to break it down and there's rebellion in there and I don't know how to cause it to surrender. I, I don't know. But God says, I will give grace to the humble. God's grace can bring full and mature belief to our hearts. We can't sit here to say today, today and say, I can change my heart. Remember in that song we said, it, that song we were singing, and it says, you are greater than our hearts, which means he can achieve the victory in our hearts. He's just looking for humility. That heart that says, I, I need your help. I have great need. This man, he desired the help of God. He called upon the Lord's compassion. He's like, if you have compassion, and Jesus gave him the command to believe, but he immediately recognized that it was impossible without the help of God. And that is true humility. This man totally rejected self-sufficiency. This man totally said, I'm sunk. If you're saying this depends on me, even me believing... I'm screwed. But he says, you can help me. He says, I need you, God. I need you to save me. I need you to help my heart believe. I need you to be everything for me. I need you to be the I am. I believe you're the I am. Each and every one of us is going to make choices today. You're going to decide humility or you're going to decide pride. You're going to say, I need God or I don't. You're going to decide to trust in your own abilities or trust in Jesus alone. But if you decide, decide to trust in Jesus, then the promise of Jesus is real in your life. Um, and we're done. That's it. Would you guys stand with me? <clears throat> yeah. What we do uh, at the end of each service is we, we have communion up here. And that's uh, nothing weird and it's certainly not magic. What it is, is it's, it's a little um, opportunity, it's a little example that we can, uh, a very important thing, um, where you can show that you need the Lord. This is a great way to come up and humbly say, Lord, I need your broken body. I need your blood, your life in me, in my heart. And when you, you take these things and you chew them up and then you swallow them, they're going down inside you into the inner parts of your life. That's the picture that we have there. And that's why uh, we do it every week is because I said a lot of stuff and maybe it was... Right? Maybe it wasn't. But I believe that God, through his word, has spoken to each one of you guys. And you guys have an opportunity now to say, yeah, I believe it. And, and if I don't, I pray, God, that you would help me with my unbelief. And the way you can say that is by coming up during this song and just taking that communion and saying, I believe this.
Jesus gave a crazy warning. He said, if you don't believe and you come up and take communion, I might kill you. That sucks. I, we don't want that. I don't, I don't want to have bodies in here. So if you're like, I don't believe, then d- just don't come up because God says this is really serious. I will save you and give you everything if you ask me. But if you don't ask me, then, and you just, you just want to be fake, Ananias and Sapphira showed us what happens in the book of Acts with people who want to be fake with the Lord. So I, I encourage you guys to make a decision. You know, your, your, uh, your life is short and no man is promised tomorrow. We hear that all the time that you might die and there's crazy, driver, crazy drivers in this room. There is no guarantee you're going to make it out of this parking lot without, and, and my brake guy is back in, but he was out there too. So you don't know if this is your last day. You don't know. So I, I encourage you, do some business with Jesus. Say, I believe, or I don't believe, Lord, and I need you to show me something else. He's not afraid of that challenge. He'll reveal himself. He revealed himself to Moses through a burning bush. He can do crazy things with you too. If you honestly say, I need something else, God, ask him. He'll, he'll reveal himself to you. But he also knows if you're just asking because you're a punk, and you still want to rebel, and you're going to rebel no matter what. He knows that too. And he'll answer with silence to that kind of heart. But I believe God's been working in every one of your hearts, and I believe it with all my heart, and I'm asking you to call out to the Lord with all your heart now and just sing this song and come up and, and pray and, and trust Him. Jesus, we ask that you would break down the wall that's in our heart. I pray that as we remember you on the cross, that we would know that you're the I am. Father, we need you so much. We believe that you're the I am, that you're all that we need. And Lord, I thank you so much for rising from the dead, bringing new life. And I just pray that there would be great things happening in hearts in this room. In your name we pray, amen.